This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Covaris, Ranchford Eye Center, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and today we're going to be welcoming back uh, a guest who's been with us uh, every year consistently on this program, Dr. Michael Joyce, is going to be joining us a little bit later on in the studio. We're going to be talking about a lot of different topics. We want to talk about joint replacement. It's one of the fields of medicine that always fascinates me because it's growing and improving so quickly. Uh, we're going to talk about his foundation, the KJ Life Foundation, and a lot of other things going on at St. Francis uh, Hospital and Medical Center, including the Sports Medicine Institute. So we're going to chat with him about that. But as always, we want to give you a few updates. Uh, I want to thank Pete. Uh, two weeks ago, we had a problem on Cottage Grove Road. I rarely get into these personal problems, but we had the grass was so high, you couldn't make a turn and see the oncoming traffic. And in fact, it was a six-car accident. So I sent out a plea to how do you get the lawn mowed on a state road, okay? Especially on now it's Memorial Day weekend. This started on a Friday. So Pete had the idea to call the Bloomfield Fire Department. Man, it was a dead end, Pete. I got to tell you, I thought I was hopeful. But they said, we don't have... Uh, grass-cutting equipment, uh, and it would be against the law. I love this. It would be against the law for us to cut down that grass. So not only did it stay through the weekend, but for another week, okay? Um, and hopefully there were no other accidents. But I want to thank Pete for the idea, but it didn't work. Um, so we, we made our effort to try to keep our community a little bit safer. And as I said, if I had the equipment, if I hadn't moved to a condo, and had my own weed whacker, I would have just gone out there and cut the darn thing down. It's that ridiculous. This day in medicine, June 9th, 1783, Sir Benjamin Brody was born. Now, Sir Benjamin Brody uh, is interesting. He's an English surgeon and was a real pioneer in vein surgery, right? I mean, a lot of people with these vein centers have a lot to thank Benjamin Brody. He, maybe he's the patron saint of outpatient vein centers. But I, what I found more interesting was that he documented a conservative approach to joint diseases and avoided so many people from having amputations. So, again, we're going to chat with our guest today, Dr. Joyce, about that, uh, really, and get a, kind of a historical perspective of treating joint diseases. Because back then, in the 1700s, many people ended up with amputations. Uh, for things that we treat medically now and certainly treat surgically with joint replacement. I wonder if anybody in 1700s had any idea that we would be able to replace an entire joint and have someone return to a fully active career, even in sports. So it'll be interesting to chat about that, and interesting for us to think about um, really what the future is for us. Uh, I had an interesting situation this week. I think a lot of patients don't understand the pre-certification process. Now, this is something that's been new during my career over the course of the past 32 years. 
which is pre-certification. So it used to be if a doctor ordered a test or a medication, you wrote it on a pad and it got done. Not so anymore. So this week I had to order, uh, two weeks ago, I had to order an MRI on a patient who had neck pain and had weakness in his arm, had positive tests in terms of objective tests, electrical tests, showing that he had a pinched nerve in his neck. And uh, they got back to us and said they refused. I needed to do a peer-to-peer review. And the reason I'm saying this is not to complain, but I want the listeners to have some idea what your doctors are doing in their spare time. So I call for a peer-to-peer review. And I had my assistant call who thought I was ready for the peer-to-peer, gives me the phone. And I got transferred four more times over the course of the next 15 minutes. I actually hung on for this. And finally got somebody said, yes, you need a peer-to-peer. We can schedule it for 6 p.m. tonight. What do you mean schedule it? They said, well, our doctors have schedules. What do you think I'm doing here, folks? I've got an office full of patients. So I hung up. I couldn't take it anymore. Uh, They did call back. Well, we called the patient and told him to call his employer. He did. He went to the HR department. And sure enough, I had somebody call me for a peer-to-peer. And they finally did the MRI that showed this man was physically crushing his spine and needed to go for urgent surgery. So we lost time because we had to go through this ridiculous process. Uh, It's insane. So who's liable for that? I don't even know. But I, I just want you to have some idea of how medicine has changed and what takes our time in the office, and I'm sure Dr. Joyce goes through it more than I do because they just don't let you go do a surgery. Forget about ordering a medication or a test. One of the things you're going to hear a lot about, and we've been hearing a lot about this week, has been the suicide contagion. Basically, with the suicide deaths of Kate Spade and and sadly as well, um, uh, you know, Anthony Bourdain... um, Yesterday, uh, Andrew, uh, Mr. Bourdain, yesterday, I, I think uh, the thing here is we want to be careful of this contagion thought because it's out there. It's it's what we that some people call them copycat suicide. Um, some people call <clears throat> clusters of suicide. We want people to be mindful of this because that is what happens, especially when famous people do it and per- cause and commit suicide. One of the things I hear all the time is, why would somebody like that do it? They have everything. And usually we think of that in terms of money, but money truly does not bring happiness. And depression is a medical condition that many people suffer from. Rich people, poor people, athletic people, non-athletic people. So it's so important to understand that this is a rising problem. And if you know someone who's thinking of suicide, reach out to them because we're all part of this community and need to stop this and stop what is really going on right now. I mean, there's an increase in the number of suicides this year alone by 28%, which is wrong. And we we should be able to stop that and reach out to people. So with that... Um, with the suicides going on. We want people to be mindful of that. And I contacted uh, my good friend, Dr. Caleb Peck, 
who's a great psychologist uh, and has been on the show before. We're going to get him on to really delve into this a little bit more. Um, another topic that's been coming up is chemotherapy for breast cancer. And the fact that now there is data based on looking at 10,000 women that for certain types of breast cancer, chemotherapy does not add anything in the sense of longevity or recovery. And those are studies that are important because it's not a study that says, well, in about 10 years we will have this. This is something that changed this week for people who have certain receptors on their tumor. So it's not for every form of breast cancer. But if you can avoid a woman or a man in some cases having to go through chemotherapy uh, and do just as well on the other end of this with survival, um, it is so important. And we're getting into, again, this speaks to personalized medicine, which is something that's so important where Everything is done to an individual person, to their type of tumor and the class of that type of tumor. Uh, we're going to be having Dr. Niamh Wilson on uh, hopefully next week. I, I have to uh, line that up on the schedule. Dr. Wilson, I believe she's the director of the Breast Cancer Center at St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center. And uh, can't wait to have She's been a guest before. And I have referred patients to her, friends and family members to her. And they are uh, they do a wonderful job there of that. With that, we're going to take a short break, and we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Michael Joyce. Let me give you the phone numbers, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. If you don't want to call, you can reach me. Send me an email at info at alessimd.com. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Back on Healthy Rounds. Uh, That's a reminder of uh, what's coming up at Mohegan Sun. Next week is going to be Tim McGraw and Faith Hill uh, performing together on the 15th. Tonight, I will actually be there, not performing. Well, hopefully not performing. I will be at the Connecticut Sun basketball game. Actually, it's an afternoon game at 2 p.m., so a matinee game for the Sun, who are now 6-1. So doing a great job and uh, really getting the season started off on the right foot. With that, I want to introduce my guest today, Dr. Michael Joyce. Um, He is part of Orthopedic Sports Specialist in Glastonbury. Uh, He is also the co-director of the Sports Medicine Institute at St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center and one of the founding members of the Connecticut Joint Replacement Institute. Mike, welcome to the show. Good morning, Tony. It's great to have you back. Um, a lot to talk about. Uh, probably, I guess, since we're remembering um, Sir Benjamin Brody today, uh, joint replacement. How has it evolved? I mean, I, I never realized, they would, and I guess it makes sense, they were just amputating joints for joint diseases in the past. Yeah, that wouldn't go over big. <laughs> uh, no, absolutely not. So how has it evolved, I mean, uh, in terms of joint replacement? The, the history has been fascinating. We've been doing joint replacement surgery for 75 years. I mean, this isn't new. This is around. And it's almost to the point within the next couple of years that 5% of the U.S. population will have an implanted joint. 
And that's wow. a pretty amazing number. So we've been successful keeping people mobile. I think my grandfather summed it up the very best. He said when he got old, he was surprised there were no old cripple people. He says that's what he expected from his youth. I mean, you know, if he was alive now, he'd be over 100. But he was just shocked. And that's what joint replacement has done. It gives you this lease on life that goes on, you know, way, way longer than it used to and allows you to be active, mobile, independent, do things pain-free. And, you know, it's hard to always meet the rising expectations of our patients, but we're, we're keeping up. You know, we were talking briefly before the show about outpatient joint replacement. Now, I remember early on, I mean, you replaced the joint. Someone went to a nursing home or rehab center um, for days or weeks at a time before coming back. Um, I know when my father, when you replaced my father's hip, uh, which is more than 10 years ago, he didn't. He came home, which was remarkable then. But now we're talking about outpatient joint replacement. There's been an evolution. You know, in the beginning of my career, 25 years ago, people stayed in the hospital for a week. Um, it became commonplace 10 years ago to be there for three days or so. But now we're to the point for a hip replacement, about 80, 90 percent of people are staying uh, in the hospital just one night and the rest two or three. And then for knee replacements, uh, maybe one or two nights in the hospital and the numbers keep dropping. But there is now a, a, a trend to start actually doing outpatient joint replacement surgery where you would have your hip or your knee replacement in, you know, in the morning and you'd go home the same day. Um, it's because of a lot of technical advancements. It's not that this generation is superhuman or something like that. I mean, this is science and where it's gone. With the knee replacements in particular, our anesthesia team at St. Francis, which I can't say enough about. I mean, they're they're innovative and they're compassionate and technically, you know, beyond you know anybody around. And that's a rarity. It is a surgeon thanking the anesthesia staff and talking highly <laughs> of the anesthesia staff. Okay, we get along great. Um, but there's a drug that came out uh, a few years ago called Exparel, and Exparel is very interesting. It, it's we all have had Novocaine at the dentist. You know, they inject this medicine, it numbs up a nerve, and it wears off in an hour. We all have that experience. Um, and we've had some medications like Novocaine that would last for several hours, but Exparel takes that basic molecule that makes up the Novocaine and then surrounds it in a microscopic foam. And the foam particles are a little different in size. Some are small, some are big, and they dissolve in the body. So now that the, the injection can last for several days. And then what the anesthesia team has done is under ultrasound guidance, so they can actually see into the leg, they infiltrate the area all around the knee. And that really gets rid of probably 85, 90% of the pain. But like old nerve blocks where you had weakness, you couldn't use your quad muscle or anything. You have full use of your muscles. So now you have somebody with a new knee. The operation took just over an hour. They really don't have much in the way of pain, and they have full use of their leg, and so they're getting up and walking. And, and this week on Tuesday, I had a patient of mine, and, and she's you know a remarkable woman. I've been taking care of her for a long time. But she had her knee replacement. An hour and a half after surgery, she went up and down the stairs, and she went home. And then instead of going to a nursing home, instead of having nurses come to her house, she went home and the next day went to outpatient physical therapy. And we have that in my office. So I walked over the next day and I checked on her and she's cruising right along. And, and that's what we're trying to prepare for. And the importance of it, of course, is if you're not in a hospital, it's safer. You know, that's where the sick people are. And there's a potential to save money. And, and myself, like most people, my insurance costs have gone up and up and up. 
if you truly can decrease the cost of these things, there's the potential if insurance companies want to, to pass those savings on to all of our patients who are getting just bludgeoned right now with rising insurance costs. So it's very exciting. Plus, you save the nursing home time oh, yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, how about the need for opiates? Does that help decrease the need for opiates postoperatively? Well, Mike Cremins is our director of research at CGRI, and in every single thing we do is, is followed and measured. We have a tremendous team of people that follow this data. And what we have seen is we're up to the point now where 20 30% of patients are taking no narcotics for pain control following a knee replacement. Um, you know, some people do. Circumstances are different. But that is remarkable That's flat a out. huge, huge amount. We have a call. Let's uh... – we got Danny on the line. Uh, Danny, welcome to the show. Hi, doctors. Uh, I had a question about ankles. Um, I broke both my ankles about 40 years ago in a motorcycle accident, and they're pretty bad. I've got bone on bone. I had my right ankle scoped. And about 10 years ago, I went to a doctor, and he said about the only thing I could do would be have them fused to relieve the pain. He gave me some uh, devices called rocket socks. They were sort of like uh, Velcro things to immobilize it make it stationary when I walked. Do they have anything or is there anything you can do to help ankles like that, like with an injectable in between the joint? So that's uh, a question, great question. About that, and I didn't know if there was anything new on that. Yeah, that is a great, a, a great question. I mean, ankle fractures are common. I mean, it's, right. you know, I know every people that have had that. And when you've had one, you have the potential in the long term to develop post-traumatic arthritis and, and where the cartilage wears out and you will have bone-on-bone -bone rubbing, which is very disabling, painful, and loss of motion. And there really are, you know, non-surgical treatments for that problem come down to the use of braces, maybe some anti-inflammatory medications to help with pain. From a surgical perspective, though, hey, we really yeah. have just two options available one option would be the fusion and in that case you don't have the mobility of the ankle but the pain really is gone and that's been a traditional procedure done for a long long period of time and patients don't always like that trade-off they like the idea of the pain going away but they don't want to lose the ankle range of motion and they do also have ankle replacements and they've been around for a while i mean they've been around for 20 years or so but it still is an evolving procedure and it's suitable for some people, and it's getting better all the time, and they're lasting longer. But then it would be just like a hip replacement or a knee replacement, only you would have an ankle replacement. They're not nearly as common as 100 to 1,000 people that have hips and knees done. Um, but it sounds like you've had great care from your doctor, and that's something to bring up. And there's just a very small number of surgeons that do ankle replacements, and you would certainly want to go to somebody who's done you know, many, many of them, not somebody who's done four or five. That's my advice. Danny, thank you for the call. Uh, moving on, actually, in that topic, with uh, do they do still do a lot of ankle fusions? We do. You know, it's, um, it's very effective and it's very durable, and that's what's good about it. Now, you still have mobility in your foot because there's other joints in your foot. You know, you have some that's not that bad. What we'll do with my patients is I'll put them in a rigid brace, which will give them the sense of what it would be like if their ankle was fused. And then with that in place, um, they get a sense if they want to let with surgery, how it would be to live with that. We're chatting today with Dr. Michael Joyce about uh, joint replacement, sports medicine injuries, uh, as well as the KJ Life Foundation. So we're going to be back in the next half hour um, chatting more with him. The phone number's here, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. 
I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and today we're chatting with my guest, Dr. Michael Joyce from Connecticut Joint Replacement Institute at St. Francis Hospital. Um, Mike, we're talking a little bit about joint replacement, ankle uh, joint replacement. We have a couple of questions. Why don't we get into this? Because it was one of the topics I wanted to hit on uh, was shoulder replacement. So uh, we have Judith from Bloomfield has a question about total shoulder replacement. Judith, welcome to the show. Good morning. Yes, I have a, a rotator cuff tear in both shoulders. I'm a 77-year-old woman with uh, rheumatoid arthritis, and I've been told by three different doctors that I do need a total shoulder replacement. And I just wondered uh, if you could uh, talk about the uh, the procedure and uh, the outcome. I've been told that my outcome might not be as as great as someone who does not have rheumatoid arthritis. Okay, well, um, good question. Yeah. Mike, Okay. Th- there's a lot going on with shoulder replacements now. Reverse oh, shoulder, yeah, I, I, you no. know, reverse shoulder, regular shoulder, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry to, sorry to hear about your shoulders. I'm sure it's been very difficult in terms of the pain and, and the loss of function, but shoulder replacements have, have come... Him. Shoulder replacements have come a very, very long way um, in the last you know, 20 years. Um, when you have an intact, fully functional rotator cuff... Under those circumstances, a regular shoulder replacement is something that, you know, we do routinely. And the outcomes for those are excellent, you know, the last, you know, decades uh, afterwards and get rid of pain and restore function. If, on the other hand, though, you have bad shoulder arthritis and you do not have a functional rotator cuff or one that could be repaired, then you have to have a slightly different type of shoulder replacement called a reverse shoulder replacement. And what a reverse shoulder replacement is, is that in the standard shoulder replacement, Where the shoulder socket is, you put a new artificial cup. And where the shoulder ball is, you put an artificial ball. You need to have a rotator cuff to be able to do that. If you don't have a rotator cuff, we flip it or reverse it. And that is where the cup is, we put a ball. And where the ball is, we put a cup. And that allows you to get pain relief from the arthritis and restore the normal strength and function to the shoulder without a normal functioning rotator cuff. And when you do have rheumatoid arthritis, there's always a risk of having a little higher risk of infection or some soft tissue healing problems. But those are usually something that you know about, you can mitigate for, and if with the proper care, it's still a safe and effective procedure. So when you get to the point where the pain and the suffering has been enough, that probably is the next right right choice. Judith, I hope we've answered your question there. Good luck with that surgery. Okay. Uh, Next question is from Michelle in Goshen with a question about hip replacement. Michelle, you're on. Hi, thank you. I actually just had a hip replacement. I'm coming up on the eighth week this week. And I have, I went to my doctor, uh, so I know the bone is good. But when I walk, I feel like it's got to be probably tendons, like little fingers under my hip. So it's a sensation. And I didn't know, I had a lot of, I limped for a long time. I didn't really want to have the surgery. I probably should have had it earlier. And I just wondered, because um, he told me to kind of to take it easy, and I'm wondering if this is kind of a normal thing or not. The um, There are several different aspects of the recovery from a hip replacement. And one aspect is that the new implant has to kind of grow into your normal bones and be strong, and that takes some time. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. 
And then you need to have good strength develop in the hip afterwards. So you have a healing phase, which you're going through right now, followed by a strengthening phase. And the complete recovery can you know, take several months to get through all those different aspects, especially when before your surgery, you've been disabled with hip pain for a very long period of time. Over that time frame, your your body got very weak. It got you know dilapidated a little bit, and you need to restore all that. So you know, I think it's too early to kind of judge the result of your surgery because you're just very early in the game. You need to be patient, let healing occur, and then strengthen that hip and get back to doing function. And sometimes physical therapy can help you with that. Michelle, thank you very much for the call. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to listen to the radio because I couldn't hear okay. the doctor's answer over the phone. Thank you. All right, sounds good. Bye-bye. We're going to work on that. Um, Mike, so talking a little bit about this, uh, how many hip replacements get done? Is that still the number one joint that gets replaced? Knees are a little bit ahead of hips, but that they're very close, you know, um, and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years in the 500, 600,000 a year range in this country. Shoulder is something that's really evolved more recently, though. The operation has, you know, been around for a long time, but it really has, you know, come into its own in the last 10 years, it's, it's gone from just get rid of the arthritis to a real true anatomical reconstruction of the shoulder, which is very important for the shoulder. And, you know, the results we get with shoulders is every bit as good and lasts as long as what we get with hips and knees. And people are uh, very happy with them. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. The Sports Medicine Institute at St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center. Talk to us a little bit about that. It's, uh, you know, we hear about sports medicine all the time. And, and to be honest with you, Everybody hangs out a shingle now that says sports medicine, this sports medicine, that. But you and I both know there are only certain people who really do sports medicine uh, in that regard. And putting together an institute in that regard is is pretty interesting for this area. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and I appreciate the opportunity to do this. Um, My co-director is Dr. Jay Kimmel, and him and I have been working on this project now for five years. And it really did come out of the success of the Connecticut Joint Replacement Institute. And we had several really specific goals that are important to the success of bringing doctors from different private practices. And and we're based out of the St. Francis family of physicians. But we're in our own practices. And so the Institute is an opportunity for all these doctors to come together and really just focus on patient care in our area of medicine. And so we wanted to do several things as a coordinated team. One is to establish a research arm. We wanted to get a better understanding of the results of our surgery, what are the important factors that determine how people do, and then to actually measure the results of how our patients are doing, how are our patients with ACL surgery doing, how are our patients with arthroscopic surgery, their shoulder doing, you know, are they able to run, are they able to throw a ball uh, and do those type of things. And then that guides the quality of all of our practices. It leads to academic discussions, um, but not in an abstract sense that we read a research paper, but actually you know, academic discussions about the results of our individual patients. We also have an outreach into the community. We're involved uh, uh, in the care of many athletes from different colleges and high schools. Through our institute, we've been providing medical care to several of the high schools in the Hartford area where we've been able to work with athletic trainers and coordinate the care of athletes that sustain injuries just playing high school sports. We also have been working with the University of Hartford. We're starting to work now with at St. Joseph's. And we also have um, worked with the Wolfpack. Um, some of our doctors are involved, you know, at the University of Connecticut and other schools as well. Um, 
where you get the experience of very elite Division One athletes and some professional athletes, and then take that experience and learn from it so that you can use that with all of our patients if they're just recreational athletes or weekend warriors. Do you think that's the question people should ask? So they go to look somebody up and it says sports medicine this, sports medicine that. How does someone know if it's truly a sports medicine specialist? Uh, typically someone who's done a fellowship. Um, is it? Should they ask about, well, who do you work with? What teams do you work with? Things such as that. Does that – I mean that adds a lot to what I do. That's yeah. for sure. But what do you think? I think as a society, we're getting used to having ratings. I mean, I go on Amazon. Right. You know, I'm comparing scotch tape, and there's four stars scotch tape and five stars. So I have this great information about buying something as stupid as a roll of scotch tape. But what do I have on my doctor? How do I know what my doctor has? I'd like to know. Does he have great results with ACL surgery, or, or we don't know? And one thing that's given our patients some understanding is when they've had an opportunity to take care of people at colleges and universities where you know how the kids do. You know, and when I operate on one of our, our UConn players and they do well, it's it's public knowledge and patients can see that for themselves. Um, and you see that, you know, if your kid is um, – as a football player, plays in the high school football team, and that team doctor, that sports medicine specialist, has taken care of other kids on the team, you begin to understand how that doctor's, his results look. And I think that's a big bridging stone. And we look to the fundamental things to accreditate and, and credential people. Uh, there's basically two types of sports medicine doctors. You have sports medicine orthopedic surgeons, and, and that's what I do. I do operations. And then we have sports medicine primary care physicians. And they've done all their primary care training. And then an additional year or so, of care in fellowship training and they'll take care of the non-surgical areas of sports medicine like you know concussion care and things like that well i I guess i beg to differ because the third category would be a sports medicine neurologist (laughs) which is what i do for a living for many teams um uh, but uh, on top of that i i take the same pleasure as you do when we see uh one of our patients get back um to their sports no matter what their level is So with that, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Michael Joyce. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds, and my guest today is Dr. Michael Joyce. In this last segment, a couple of topics I want to touch on, Mike, and one is, um, you know, in all this stuff we talk about in joint replacement, uh, sports medicine, a lot of what we do is rely on physical therapists. And I know um, you're a lot like me in the sense that we we kind of establish a relationship with certain physical therapists who know what we want done in order to get that. And it's I don't know that people understand that it's such an important part of coming back from a sports-related injury or a joint replacement is having the right physical therapist. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I have tremendous ex- uh, respect for the physical therapists I work with. I mean, this day and age, I mean, they get a PhD. You know, their educational level is, is phenomenal. And then, you know, the ones we work with have 10, 20 years of experience, and they're hands-on seeing patients every single day. I think the relationship is best when it's a collaborative relationship, when the referring physician and the therapist work on a regular basis together. And that really allows you to optimize what's going on. But I sometimes explain it to patients this way. I think when something's going wrong in your body, you kind of have an anatomical problem, like this joint or something has an issue. 
or a physiological problem is, is this isn't working the way it's supposed to. So as a surgeon, the anatomical problem is that's what I fix. I put it back together, I replace it. But the physiology, getting it to do and be what it's supposed to be, that's what the therapists do. And they give that hands-on care. And most people's recoveries have ups and downs. You need that support. You need to be kind of chilled out sometimes. And and then you have to do things with the level of precision that is absolutely not intuitive. And I try to get our patients to develop a relationship with a the therapist. And sometimes they may try one or two therapists until they find the right fit for them. But then they become an important resource resource for them that guides them um, whenever these injuries come up. And, and uh, it's just a critical part for recovering from musculoskeletal injuries. Mike, the other thing I want to talk about is the KJ Life Foundation, um, your foundation uh, named after your your son uh, that does so much good in this area and the upcoming flag football tournament. Can you talk a little bit about kind of the evolution of the foundation and some of the great success stories you've had over the years? Well, I, I really love having the opportunity to come on the show and talk about this. Um, the uh, KJ Life Foundation is is. Uh, in memory of my son, Kenneth Joyce, who we lost in an accident 10 years ago. Um, the foundation wouldn't be possible without the incredible work my wife, Pam, does and and our armies of volunteers. I mean, it, it's just a tremendous endeavor. We do lots of things throughout the, the course of a year. Um, we've been running a very successful blood drive in Glastonbury for seven years. We've We've gotten 540 pints of blood donated, which is amazing. And the big event we also run every year is the KJ Life Flag Football Tournament, which is in Glastonbury next Saturday. Um, you can go to the kjlife.com website and um, – oh, I'm going to get in trouble. It's .org. No, 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 no. no. You're yeah, good. Like, good. And if you do that, you'll see all about it. But this year we'll have well over 500 kids participating in a round-robin flag football. It's boys. It's girls. They're on 72 teams. It's our 10th year of running the tournament, and it's going to be a big, big deal. Um, it's just a day for kids to come out and not be in the super competitive mode that kids are in every day. And instead they get to play and just really have fun. I think that's the joy in the whole day. It wouldn't be possible. We have two, 300 volunteers. We have tons of food, tents, uh, a lot of stuff going on, but you know, with the beautiful, beautiful weather expected, it's just a great day to hang out. And if you want to see, you know, 12 football games going on at once, twice an hour, all day, it will blow your mind. Uh, Mike, you know, Let's talk a little bit about you've done a lot in terms of fostering leadership. We all know that uh, leadership is something that's been lacking at, at every level, um, professionally and even politically. Can you talk a little bit about the leadership work you folks have done um, with regard to KJ Life? The KJ Life stands for um, leadership, inspiration, and being a friend to everyone. And and those are things that help us remember our son Kenneth the best. We were able to sponsor um, 18 high school kids to go to leadership conferences as part of that. Um, we run uh, hashtag kindness for Kenneth, which is an opportunity for kids to just randomly do something for someone else without being asked or told to and not to expect anything in return, just to be kind and to be helpful. And one of the things with the football tournament is this isn't coaches. These are kids you know, showing their own leadership ability to form a team coach their own team, and, and show up and have fun. But that's what we want to see from the kids. We want to see them develop that responsibility and 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 do it with a sense of kindness, purpose, and friendship. How do people donate to KJ Life? You can do it through the website, uh, KJ Life. Just you know, Google search that, and you'll be right at it. Um, 
We've been able to give nearly 80 college scholarships over the last 10 years. We're very proud of that. Um, when you're at the tournament, there's a booklet that lists everybody and what they've been able to do and accomplish with our support. Excited to support that, too. Uh, we've got a few minutes left. Where do you think the newest breakthrough is going to be in orthopedic surgery? I think it's going to hit on many fronts. But, you know, you don't walk two seconds a day without hearing about the problem we're having with management of pain. And, and pain is this broad society problem. And, and, you know, there's lots of things that go behind that. But when you ask people, why do you have pain? You know, orthopedic issues are a big, big part of that. You know, it's a sore back, a sore shoulder, a sore knee. And we have to make progress. And as surgeons, you know, we focused on fixing this or fix, fixing that. You know, is it a knee or a hip or a wrist? I think we need to expand that in, in, in a more comprehensive sense, get better at understanding how your bones and your joints and your tendons cause pain and find more ways to remedy that and avoid narcotics. I think the, the ramifications of that have gotten to be well understood and it needs to be avoided. And I think that's where we're going to be working on it more, not just, you know, do a knee replacement, you need a knee replacement, but give people a better sense of how to live a really active life and do so with high levels of function and without constant pain or discomfort. Mike, I want to thank you uh, really for, for taking time to come on the show, but more uh, everything you do, not only for our patients, uh, but for the community uh, and what you and Pam uh, and uh, your sons have accomplished. Uh, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been great. Well, thank you. I'm really proud of them. Look forward to chatting more with you in the future. Many thanks to our studio producer today. Mike Olko has been on the board. Uh, Jeff Chandler is in charge of all of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Next week, it's my hope that my guest is going to be Dr. Niamh A. Wilson. Dr. Wilson um, is a breast cancer specialist at St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center. We're going to talk about new innovations in care for patients with breast cancer, both surgically and non-surgically. I really want to drill down on the data that just came out this week regarding uh, the the fact that you will not need chemotherapy in certain types of breast cancer. And she's been on the show before, has been a great guest. Um, and as always, we'll be taking your questions here at 860-522-9842. Next up on WTIC is going to be Garden Talk with Len. Please remember to help save lives. You can do that today by becoming an organ, eye, and tissue donor and go to registerme.org. That's so important now, especially with summer coming, so many accidents. Uh, it's so important to have availability of organs and organ donors. Until next week, this has been Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy.